how we live as believers. And he's taught us that in Christ, we're participants in, in what we're calling the new creation, or what he's actually calling the new creation. We're God's new humanity. Joseph reminded us of that this morning, whether we feel it or not. We are his new humanity because of our conversion, because of, of our, the resurrecting power of, of Christ in our lives. We've been reconciled to God through the cross. We were once at enmity with him, and, and we've been reconciled to each other. when We were once haters of one another. And as a result, Paul says, because those are, are true about you, because of, of what Christ has done, we should come to live like it more and more. So our lives should reflect on the outside what's happened to us on the inside. And the shorthand for Paul's ethic in these chapters, if you want to just summarize it into one little statement, we could say it like this. We should become who we are. We should become who we are. Paul calls us to become in practice what we already are in reality, new creatures in Christ. And last week we looked, about, uh, we, we looked at this extensively, and uh, I, I led off with an illustration about a caterpillar. That was kind of kind of bizarre illustration, but the caterpillar, we said, already has in itself, in, when it's in, in a larva form, all that it needs to become a butterfly in the metamorphosis. So even before it hatches, it has all that it needs to eventually become this, this beautiful butterfly. And in, in the same way, at conversion, we've been given a new nature, Christ's nature, through him, in him. And even though we still sin, we're identified as the people of the new creation, as God's new humanity, who will inherit the, the new earth. And this is the truest reality for you as a Christian. And as a result, Paul says, you need to act like it more and more. You need to learn to become who you are. That's the idea. It just contrasts that with maybe how we sometimes think about sanctification, is, is growing to become more holy so that God is more pleased with us. That's not, that's not the reality. He's already pleased with you in Christ, because of Christ. And we grow up into Christ now um, in this new life. And last week, we looked specifically at how we make progress in becoming who we are. So if we, it's, not a, it's not just a, a static thing. We actually make progress. We strive in this process. And Paul says we are to increasingly learn to put off the old nature. Right? We learn to put that off and all of its corrupt practices. We are to, to be continually renewed in our minds by the truth, coming to understand the truth and the truth that's in Christ, and how it applies, and we're to increasingly put on, then, the new nature. And that was his big picture instruction. If you kind of want to think about it, kind of the high altitude, generic instruction that he gave us of of this path of change. But where Paul goes next is, is incredibly helpful. Incredibly helpful. He doesn't keep things in generalities. He gets specific. In fact, he gets very specific. In chapter 4, verse 25, all the way through uh, chapter 5, verse 2, Paul lists out several examples of sinful behavior and sinful attitudes that we must put off, along with corresponding examples of righteous ones for us to put on. Okay? It's a description, another way we could say it is like this, it's a description of what healthy body life should look like at Timberlake, and specifically in Boundless. 
So if we want to measure how healthy we are, we can look right here at these, at these verses and if we're characterized by these things or not. It's like, a, it's like a checkup on the health of our relationships. And just to keep hammering this home, this is what characterizes life in the new creation. Okay, This is who we are, it's what we're going to be, and it's what we're going to be eternally. So we practice it now, and that's, that's, the, that's, the, result, that's the reality. So we're going to get into this, but let's just read this whole section, starting in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. See the first contrast there? Here's another one. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Here's another one. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Here's another. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And another, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then the last one, but it's sort of a summary. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there's a number of contrasts here. Of the old life, new life, or to put off, put on. And mind renewal is happening through this whole thing. You know, as we learn these these reasons why we're supposed to put these things off and put them on, the mind renewal is happening in in this whole process. So, today we're going to look at the first example of the put-off, put-on process. I was originally, when I was preparing this lesson, going to try to do several of them together, uh, and it just, just ain't happening. All right, so we have to slow down, at least in this first one, and, uh, and just take it, take it as it is. It's so foundational, I wanted to take an entire message on it. And we could summarize it like this, maybe. Uh-oh, are we gone? Here it is. We could summarize it like this. Truthfulness replaces deceit. Whoa. Had a lag there. Truthfulness replaces deceit. In Paul's instruction in, in verse 25, you can see that's, that's, that's where we're going to be today. His, his instruction in this verse is very straightforward, and it really falls into three parts. So that's going to be our outline today. These, the three parts of Paul's instruction. And I'll just give them to you up front. Number one, what we should put away. Wow. Number two, what we should cultivate or put on. And number three, why we should do it. And Paul's going to follow this pattern pretty much through this whole section. Something to put away, something to put on, and then why? A motivation. So let's look at the the first part of this verse. Just, Just review it here. Verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, there's part one, let each one of you speak the truth, with his neighbor, part two, why? For we are members of one another. So let's unpack this one, one bit at a time. Let's look at this first part. Put away deceit. Initially, Paul tells us to put off or put away or trash deception, deceit. In other words, he's saying we, we don't lie to each other anymore. 
Uh, we don't deceive each other. We don't act in deceptive ways. Now, that's pretty straightforward. In, in some of your translations, it might, if you're reading an ESV, it, it might say, having put away falsehood. Uh, or in ASB, it just says, putting away falsehood. I think the idea, it's a participle in Greek, and I think the idea is it's focused on the main verb that's coming, which says, speak the truth. So the emphasis in this passage falls on that. Speak the truth with each other. This is what we're to put on. But this participle that, that comes in front of it has the idea, it's, it sort of takes on that flavor of the imperative. Grammar lesson, okay? So it's, it's, so, it's functioning like, like a command. So that's why I'm, I'm using it as a command here. My computer's doing something funny. Hang on, guys. Quick pause. Looks like it's frozen. Anybody got some Jeopardy music? You want to play that? While we're... All right. Well, I'll try to speak deliberately and slowly, Okay. And I'll put all this online. So if you don't get it, it's okay. There's going to be a lot of lists. It's kind of unfortunate that we don't have PowerPoint. Um, so don't deceive each other. That's the instruction. And typically we think of deceit as, as uh, just kind of bold-faced, outright deception, right? We think about lying. Did you cheat on this exam? No, you did. Uh, that's deception in the most obvious sense. But we should think through the more subtle ways that we're tempted to deceive each other. These are not so obvious to us, and they're often more socially acceptable, but they're still forms of deceit. All right, I'm going to give you a few of those, so this would be on the outline. Excuses. All right, making excuses. So giving excuses for mistakes rather than ownership taking ownership of, of, of your sin or mistake. So, just here's an example. You oversleep. I know you never do that. And you're running late to work or to class. When you get there, you find yourself telling everybody how bad the traffic was or how, like, what the impediments were to get, you know, to get to class or to get to work. What's happening there? Well, you're shifting blame away from yourself. It's an excuse. If you were honest and gave the real reason that you were late, i.e. your laziness, it would indict you more. And that's what we want to get out of, right? You're protecting yourself. You're protecting your reputation. And it's probably because you crave to be well thought of by others. So you're willing to lie or to practice a, a form of deception in making an excuse. How about exaggeration? Number two, exaggeration. When we represent something as better or worse than it really is. How about uh, exaggerating the faults of others? This is uh, still an exaggeration here. Exaggerating the faults of others. I don't know, you, you never do that, right? Or, you're always freeloading on these group projects. Really? I mean, are they every, every single time? They're, all, they're, all, they're always freeloading. It might feel like that, uh, but is it really true? I think when we make those kind of statements, we're actually the ones that are being dishonest. 
we're presenting reality in, in a way that's not accurate. We're exaggerating the facts. And uh, for those of you who are planning on getting married one day, this is a recipe for disaster in your marriage. So just log that away. Okay? Exaggerating the truth. And it's a form of dishonest speech. And we have to repent of it at that level. Now, I know that's a playful exaggeration. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about when, you, when you're exaggerating, when you're angry, and you're, you're, you're blowing things out of proportion with your speech to make yourself, to justify yourself and your anger or your whatever it is, whatever sin that you're committing. So we exaggerate, and that's a form of dishonesty. How about embellishment? Number three, embellishment, closely related. That's when we add extra details to something, sometimes that aren't true, to make it seem better than it really is. Example, we, we, we love to embellish our reputations, don't we? To make ourselves seem better than we actually are. Uh, we're tempted to make ourselves sound better than, than we really are. Common example, I was trying to think in your shoes of why you, how you might be tempted to do this. Uh, when your resume says you were a manager at McDonald's, when all you managed was the cash register, that's embellishment. We desire to make ourselves seem better than, than we really are. Or, I don't know if this actually fits in the category of embellishment or not, but this is where I tucked it in. When you're telling a story and you actually leave out relevant details of a story, necessary details, because you, you want to manipulate someone else to your point of view, we never do that, do we? You, you, you spin a story, right? You spin a story in a certain way, maybe you could fudge it a little bit in some of these in some of these details, but it makes you look better and them look worse, right? I think that's a form of, of embellishment, but maybe in the in the other direction. You want people to come to your desired outcome or conclusion, and you frame the story or you frame the set of events up in a way that that leads them to that conclusion. It's subtle, but that's dishonesty. How about this one? Number four, flattery. Flattery is excessive and insincere praise to further your own desires or agenda. Excessive and insincere praise to further your own desires. We often flatter others to manipulate them. To help, help us get what we want. Right? We lay it on thick. Or we want the approval of others so much that we're insincere. We tell them things that we don't actually mean in order to get the things that we want from them. This is another way that we're dishonest. And maybe on the other side of that spectrum, from flattery, is slander. Slander, number five, slander. We sometimes say things that are either not true about others or that misrepresent them in order to exalt ourselves. We say things that are either not true about others or that misrepresent them in order to exalt ourselves. And, if this is you, if this is where you struggle, it's you do this because you're embittered. Something has happened and, and bitterness has taken root in your heart, and so what comes out of your mouth is, is tearing the other person down. So that you're, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to convince others to, sh- to share in your opinion, your negative opinion of this person, because typically they've wronged you in some way. And you've refused to repent of that, so bitterness is set in in your heart. 
that's a form of dishonesty, right? It's a form of dishonest speech and that, that runs, it runs, it just makes the body weak. Uh, last one here, just throw it out. Evasion. I think that's what is that? Number six, evasion. You try to get out of telling the truth about a situation by dodging uh, maybe a direct answer or evading, you know, evading a question. A common example of this is, is when it's obvious that something's wrong and we don't want to talk about it. So when somebody asks us if we're okay and we say, I'm fine, and it's clear. I mean, you just bit that guy's head off. You're not fine, all right? What are we doing in that? Well, we're evading. A friend is coming up next to us. They're trying to draw us out, saying, hey, let's, let's talk through this. You seem to not be yourself. And then you minimize it. You say, oh, I'm fine. I'm, there's nothing wrong. You're evading. And, and that's a form of dishonesty. You're, you're lying in that moment. It's fine if you don't want to talk about it. Just say you don't want to talk about it. Say, hey, I need to think about this, or appreciate you asking, and, but I, now's not the time. I don't want to talk about this right now. That's a truthful answer. You don't have to always talk about everything. That's not what I'm saying. But what that does is it doesn't leave others guessing about where you are or, worse, taking you at your word that everything's fine and then, it, then you get more angry at them because it's actually not fine and they just continue to treat you like it was fine, even though that's what you said, right? So the only reason I can say these things is because at some level I've done them and uh, I've, experienced, <laughs> I've, experienced, I've experienced this. So deceit, what I want you to see in giving you this list, is not to bury you, okay? I want you to see that deceit has more subtle manifestations than we typically realize. And lots of times it riddles the body with disease, okay? It riddles our church, our boundless ministry, with disease if we're not truthful with one another. And maybe you're more deceptive than you realized, which drives you back to the mercy of God in Christ, Right? You're a new creature in Christ. This is not who you are anymore. You're not a person that has to slink around deceiving people. You can come out into the light because Christ is your king now. He's going to take care of you. And we can be honest and truthful. But let's keep thinking about this just for a minute. He says we've, we've no longer got to be characterized by this. But why are we so tempted to lie? Why are we so tempted to lie? What's going on there? When I examine my own heart, here's, here's what I came up with. We try to, to rescue our reputation and preserve ourselves from, from the, the truth, or preserve ourselves when truth wouldn't actually indict us more. So we don't like the weight of the conviction that comes that forces us to do something with that conviction. Another way to say it is we don't trust God for our reputation we try to manage it ourselves. That's one thing that might be going on in the heart. I think another thing is that we love the praise and approval of others. and We idolize that more than the praise and approval of God. And, and, and the reality is when the truth comes out about a situation, that might make somebody think less of you. In fact, it probably will. But we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that because we, in our most fundamental being, want approval to come from God alone, and we, that means we want to deal honestly and truthfully with our sin. Again, trusting God in that way. 
And I think we try to manipulate outcomes of situations rather than trusting God for the outcomes of the situation. And that's why we're tempted to lie. We often fear what the earthly consequences might be if we tell the truth or if we're truthful when we know we should be. So we shade the truth or we take some of the edge off of it. That's just trying to manipulate. You're trying to be God in that moment, trying to manipulate the outcome of the situation. God controls everything. And he loves you. And he's only going to permit what's best for you. See how that truth just blew up that lie? That, hey, I can actually control something. I can manage my reputation. No, you can't. Not for long. So, again, the truth has to come in, renew our minds. And we must put off this, this deceit. And we've got to put it off because Paul knows that it, it's devastating to the body. Think about everything that deceit does. When you've been deceived by someone, just think through that. It erodes your trust, right? It increases your suspicion of that person. Is it really in the best interest of her? Can I, you know, can I really trust them? Why are they, why are they buddy enough to me? You know? It leads to offense, right? So you're deceived and then you're angry at that person because they deceived you. And in fact, Paul's going to talk about anger in the next one. So I think there's a progression here for a reason because we sometimes deceive each other in the body. It leads to offense, it increases hostility as a result, and it fractures relationships, and Satan's in game, it gets us off the mission, right? It totally derails us from what we're supposed to be doing, which is loving each other and promoting the gospel, right? So, we've got to put away deceit. We have to learn how to do that, and it's, it's not, you know, not easy or natural in the flesh, but Christ is going to teach us, equip us to do that more and more. But we're also to put on something. And that brings us to our second part of the outline here. Second major point. We should speak the truth. Speak the truth. And I want you to notice a few things here in this command. Speak the truth. Let's see here. Where are we at? Uh, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Okay, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So, just calling it, speak the truth. You should notice a few things. Initially, I want you to see that this is, uh, if you're reading the NASB, you'll see that it's in all caps here. Uh, That just means that Paul's quoting from the Old Testament. He's specifically quoting from Zechariah 8.16. Zechariah 8.16. Now, this isn't the only time that Paul does this in these chapters. Again and again, he's either going to quote or allude to the Old Testament in this back half of Ephesians. And he's doing this to remind us that we we live in a period of fulfillment. Okay, We live in a period of fulfillment. The law that Israel failed to keep under the Old Covenant has now been written on our hearts, just like the prophet said would happen during the New Covenant period. That just means we're going to be becoming more and more obedient. That's the reality of the new covenant. And as we learn to speak truthfully with each other, we're learning to live like God has always intended his people to live in obedience. And that's, that's what this quote is about. So if we were to rewind back to Zechariah, it's a, it's a quote where God's people are in exile and God's promising that he's going to bring a remnant of Israel back to the land, back to Jerusalem, and Israel is just characterized by lies. 
I mean, they got false prophets. They're believing that stuff. They're putting their hope in lies. And it's, it's, it's so sad because they actually have the scriptures and the knowledge of the one true God, but they're characterized by lies. So the Lord promises there's going to be a day where he's going to redeem this remnant, and he's going to make them truth-tellers. Okay? And the city itself, Jerusalem, is going to be called the city of truth. And then he says, um, so since that's true, kind of on that basis, since I'm going to do that, you Israel, you, this remnant, I want you to speak the truth to one another. Right? And then he lists several other things he wants them to do. So a, a, a way we could say where I think this comes in is Paul's essentially saying, look, if this was true of the, of the remnant of Israel as they were coming back into the land, how much truer is it of us on the other side of the new covenant where these promises have actually been fulfilled, right? So our, the people of the new covenant are to be people that are characterized by the truth. That's the idea here. So what does Paul have in mind when he tells us to speak the truth? We need to spread this out a little bit and think about what this means. I think at its most basic level, this looks like, number one, being honest with other people. It's not rocket science, okay? Being honest with other people. Paul's obviously not giving you a warrant to just spout your mouth off in the guise of being honest. That's, that's called being rude, being harsh. That's sin, okay? Honesty is not harsh. It's not inconsiderate. Honest speech is gentle and kind and humble. You can be honest and be gentle and kind and humble. And that's, that's, uh, that's the target. I think at a minimum... At a minimum, this is what Paul is saying. Learn to be honest with each other. But I think in Paul's mind, this command to speak the truth goes beyond merely being honest with each other. I think Paul would also say this involves, number two, not just being honest, but number two, actively bringing the truth to bear in the lives of others. Actively bringing truth to bear in the lives of others. Speak the truth. Actively bringing truth to bear in the lives of others. The church is like an echo chamber of the truth. And a good one. right? So you look up echo chamber online and you're going to see cathedrals and other things where sound reverberates off the walls and it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's also used negatively if you only surround yourself with people that think the same as you. And so you just reinforce your, you know, your own ideology. Well, in that sense, that's what we're doing in the church. We're surrounding ourselves with people who know the truth, and we're reinforcing Christ's ideology, right, which is truth. So the church is designed, it's intended to be an echo chamber for the truth. Truth should reverberate among its members. As this happens, the body is strengthened and fortified, and the satanic lies are exposed. And these lies weaken and harm the body. They weaken and harm you. And this, this truth reverberating, this is precisely how the body grows. Look back up in verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 15, chapter 4. Rather, by speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. You see that? The means, the way we grow is by speaking the truth in love. So, I would say it's not just being honest, even though that's really important and part of what he's saying. It's also actively bringing the truth to bear in the lives of others. That brings up another question. Okay, 
how do we effectively bring the truth to bear in someone's life? How do you do that? What does that look like practically? Okay, They can say that till we're blue in the face, but until we kind of think it through and what this actually means, it's, uh, it's going to be more challenging to practice. All right, so how do we effectively bring the truth to bear in someone's life? I want to give you some basic, basic items here. Number one, you got to get to know each other. Okay? Got to get to know each other. If you want to help others with truth, you've got to get to know them. How weird is it when someone thinks they have the inside scoop on your life when they barely met you? Right? You ever experienced that? Now, I just want to give a caveat. I'm not saying that you need to be friends for a year before you can speak the truth to somebody. And there's been situations where I've shared, encouraged, even confronted someone that I just met. Because of the, of the union that we have in Christ, coming in, understanding them. So I'm not saying that you have to wait an, this indefinite period of time before you can actually bring the truth to bear. But you've got to get to know people. There's, there's a certain threshold there that, you know, you just, you, as you get to know each other, you become more comfortable and you share more things. So many times we don't give and receive truth at this level because we don't really know each other that well. Our relationships stay at a superficial level, but we've got to press through this if we want to obey Paul and, um, and speak the truth. So you've got to get to know each other. That's the first one. You have to, this may be the most important, you have to grow in the truth yourself. Number two, you have to grow in the truth yourself. This is so obvious, but it gets overlooked all the time. It's so central to actually speaking the truth effectively. We won't speak the truth effectively if we're not being transformed ourselves. Think of the hypocrisy of that, all right? You go to the math tutor lab, and you got a math tutor who's failed remedial math. It's like, it doesn't make any sense, right? Yet this is where we often find ourselves. We're trying to help people when we're limping along in, in the Christian life without any answers for our own lives. But there's actually something incredibly encouraging about this principle. As we grow... Progressively, you, don't, you never arrive. So as you're growing, you become much more useful to other people. As you grow in Christ yourself, you become much more useful to others. So just think about it, how this works. There's a sin pattern that the Lord exposes in your life. Then you, you come to a disciple or a friend, a mentor, or a pastor, and they start working with you through this, this sin pattern that's plaguing your life. They help you begin to unpack and see the lies that you're believing kind of under the surface. You're like, whoa, I am enslaved to these things. I am believing these falsehoods. Then they take you to specific passages in Scripture that begin to obliterate those lies and replace them with the truth. Right? Truth about God, truth about Christ, truth about what He's done for you. These things that you're functionally not believing, now you start grasping, getting a hold of these things. Okay, wow, this is true. Wow, I should live my life based on these things. Then they begin to lay out for you what righteousness looks like in this area. And they help you walk in that over time. Right? Guess what? You're growing in that. That's, that's, that's fodder for the Lord now to use to light the fire in someone else's life. 
What do I mean by that? Well, the Lord's going to bring you others who struggle in that area so that now you can help them because you, you've act, you actually know what the lies are that you believe, you personally have believed. You, you've uprooted those lies by the truth and you know, now you know what truths to take people to. You know chapter and verse. Hey, this truth helped me obliterate this particular lie. Turn with me to here because it's in my mind. I've renewed my mind. I know where it's at and I'm familiar with this. I'm battle ready. Okay? With this truth. So you take them to that truth. Because that truth has helped you. And then you know what their life should, should start to look like. Even if you're not, I mean, you're never going to fully arrive, but you've begun to practice this thing. This, whatever this truth is. And so you're, you're able to help them say, okay, step here. Step here next. This is the path. Step here now. It's okay. You're going to stumble. I stumble. Okay, bring it back. Let's repent. Step here. Step here. So you... You help them learn to, to strive to live out truth in this, this area of their life, even if it's imperfect. So the principle is, as you're growing, you are then equipped to help others grow. And this is exactly what Jesus says in Luke 6.42. This is the, the passage we all know about the log in the eye and the speck. He says we can't get specks out of our friend's eyes if we have logs in our own eye. But he says that we should take out the log. Why? So that, purpose clause, so that we can see clearly to take the speck out of our friend's eye. Okay? So the goal of the log removal in your eye is clearer vision, a better ability to help other people in growth in their lives. Awesome. The way the Lord will redeem us from a life of sin into patterns of righteousness to then use us and set us free, um, or set us loose, I should say, in the body to help other people is incredible. So we often feel inadequate when we think about this uh, because we are. And this is probably the greatest obstacle for you guys to have to overcome because a lot of you are young in the faith. Okay? There's progress that you need to make so that you can, you can help others. It doesn't render you helpless or unable to help people but there, there is a measure of humility that comes and saying, okay, I need to practice some of these things and get busy and get after it so that I can grow and be more useful to Christ. It's like doing reps in the gym. All right, that was a long one. Okay, so that, the principle number two is just grow in the truth yourself. That's how you become more effective truth teller. All right, number three, we'll cover these quickly. Be motivated by love. Be motivated by love. Remember, Paul says we're speaking the truth, what? In love, back in verse 15. We're speaking the truth in love. Love, in other words, is the motivation to enter into someone's life to encourage them with the truth. We don't come into the body arrogantly instructing others for our own advancement and glory. We don't come trying to find posts to teach so we can wax eloquent in the various areas of ministry. That's not the purpose. We should be motivated by the love of Christ that he's shown to us and motivated to bend that love out to others and help them in the truth. But this also cuts the other way. Okay, If we don't actively seek to bring the truth to bear, what are we saying? We don't love you. Right? I don't care how much you say that you love someone else. If you're not bringing the truth to their life to help them, you don't love them. 
we're in essence saying, yeah, yeah, it's okay that you stay deceived by Satan. That's fine. No big deal. Oh, and by the way, yeah, I do have truth that could actually help you. But I'm not going to. Because I don't want to risk offending you. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Like, they're enslaved by Satan. They have, a, they have a lie that's operative in their life that will destroy them. So that's got to motivate. Love for them has to motivate us to move in uh, to, to help. Even if we do it imperfectly. All right, motivated by love. That's number three. Number four. We must, must, must learn to listen well. We must learn to listen well. Before we ever speak the truth, before we can ever help a single person, we've got to listen. Open your ears in order to understand them and how to help them. This could be a separate message all by itself. Actually, each of these points could probably be a separate message all by itself. But Proverbs has so much to say about how we listen. Proverbs 18.12. Solomon says, It is a foolish and shameful thing to spout off an answer before you've actually listened intently to someone. Foolish, you're a fool, and it's shameful to do that. Whoa, we're just ready. If somebody starts telling me a problem, it's like, zoom, I've got the answer for you, right? Like, that's, you've got to dial that back. Things are often not what they seem, okay? So we must learn to move in and ask good questions, listen, make sure we understand. Got to learn to listen well. Number four, number five, we need to speak truth, and I'm putting this in quotes, as fits the occasion, Okay? Speak truth as fits the occasion. And I'm, I'm drawing that as fits the occasion language down from verse uh, 29, but we're going to get there later in, in the series. And I know that I'm out of time, so I've got to tie it up here. Speak truth as fits the occasion. You've got to think, there, does someone actually need to be encouraged by a promise of God applied to their situation? Is there an aspect of God's character they're beginning to doubt? And you just multiply it out. Take them to a passage to remind them. Faith is built when friends are faithful to encourage us. Remind us of truth. Does somebody need to be warned about a pattern of sin? Ask for clarity from them. If necessary, warn them from a passage of Scripture. If someone's ignorant of a biblical principle that would really help them in a struggle, take them to the biblical principle. Instruct them. Yeah, be like gracious and aware of your surroundings and if this is the right time, appropriate. But do it. That's the reality. Speak truth. Bring truth to bear as it fits the occasion, as it's helpful, as it's relevant, as it is useful. I mean, it's, use your common sense in this. Um, and then last, so speak truth as fits the occasion. Lastly, patient. You, you need to be patient and help them apply what they've heard from you. You can't just drop the truth bomb and then walk off on somebody. Okay? You've got to be patient and help them walk through it. Walk through it with them. So patiently help them apply what they've heard. Nice. Um, all right. I've got to wrap up a few things in like two minutes or less. So who's supposed to do this? 
Pastors? What's the verse say? The reason I'm drawing this out is because Paul's explicit. Each one of you, each one of you, yes, pastors, but each one of you, this is the vision for the body in the church. Like, it's every single one of us needs to be doing this. This helps us overcome and and uproot and overcome some of those entry-level excuses for not doing it, like I'm just an introvert, or I'm not really a confrontational person, or I'm I'm not a good listener. Like, there's all these excuses we can just pile up, but Paul's looking at you and saying, every one of you, okay? Different, different gifts, yes. Different maturity levels, yes. So is it going to look different? Probably. But every one of you needs to have this on your radar to be about doing this for another. Are you your brother's keeper, sister's keeper? Yes. Okay? So we've got to be able to bring the truth to bear and be striving in this process. So it's for all of us. And then you're thinking, my goodness, Clay, this is a tall order. So what is going to motivate me to do this? Well, he gives you the motivation, at least one motivation. There's other motivations we could look at in Scripture for doing this thing. But the one he gives here, the one he highlights, is the fact, verse into 25, we are members of one another. That's the reason that you're to go to great lengths to bring the truth to bear in the lives of others, because we are members of each other. We're inextricably bound to one another and to Christ. That means when, when one member of the body is sick, it affects the rest of the body. When one of us is affected by a lie, the rest are impacted. That member, think of it this way, of, a, of an actual body, okay? That member of the body isn't being useful anymore. He or she is sidetracked. We've lost feeling in our foot. We've lost hearing in our ear. We've lost sight in one of our eyes. Our, our, our corporate body is going to suffer if we're not being truthful with each other. And the mission of Christ will suffer if we're not being truthful with each other. This body is connected to the head, is on a mission, and the mission, imagine trying to run a marathon with one leg. It's going to be difficult. Okay? So we've got, it's, it's holistic. We have to think corporately about this. We're members of one another. And as you encourage someone else, as you bring truth to bear in someone else's life, it's going to boomerang back on you. What do I mean by that? It ultimately benefits you. The person you pour truth into often turns around and encourages you. They often edify you. They often even confront you at times. And that's when you know it's, that's when you know it's happened, okay? When somebody you're discipling turns right around and says, hey, what about this in your life? And you're like, whoa, okay. This is good, you know? Thank you. It's sweet. And people are more equipped to use gifts in the service of the church, and that those gifts directly benefit you. Okay, so one thing out of this this final motivation that I would I would encourage you to do is to take spiritual responsibility for someone in this church. Essentially, say, okay, I got your back. Okay, will you will you have my back? Uh, I give you the green light to call me on things. I, I want you to help me if you think I'm duped by Satan in a lie. I want you to help me unpack that, even if I resist you. Sometimes I've had to tell guys like that before. Hey, look. When you confront me, I'm probably going to put a defense up. So just, like, keep going, all right? Like, back me into the corner, help me take my defenses down, and help me to think honestly about myself. If you see something in me, because I'm probably going to fight you on it, just because I'm sinful, and I'm fleshy. So people are like, okay, sounds kind of weird, but we'll help you. You know, so it's, those are things we need to be saying to each other in this 
in this uh, body. We need to make it easy for each other to speak truth into our lives because it benefits us, right? So I know that we've covered a lot of ground today, and it's just one verse, okay? Um, So what I would encourage you to do is just pick one or two ways that you're most tempted to deceive others and begin thinking those through. Work on those, okay? Take inventory of how you're doing, number two, of actually bringing truth to bear in the lives of other people. What areas are you weak in? Is there a sin pattern that's, that's hamstringing you? Okay, like let's talk through that. And then finally, take responsibility for other people in this ministry. And this is what the new creation looks like. Truth reverberating in the people of the new covenant. It's a sweet vision. And the Lord will help us. So next week, Rich is going to teach. So we're going to take a break from Ephesians. He's going to teach, but it'll be on the same, some of these same issues. And uh, again, just don't forget about regroup. And I'd uh, love to see you there. Let's pray.